At 11 years old, Cindiana Lucci arrived in the U.S. for summer vacation. Little did she know she wouldn't be returning to Colombia. From there, she navigated language barriers, the education system, opting to take herself out of ESL programs for fear of getting left behind. And on the path to citizenship, she mastered the art of compartmentalizing her identities. After traveling the globe and climbing the corporate ladder, she found herself taking a step back to evaluate how she was showing up in spaces and exploring her newest identity, being a mom. She now says she's stronger than ever and ready to show up as her fullest self. So I'm Cindy Angelucci. I am Colombian. I was born in Colombia, first gen immigrant to the US. I have a, a little six-year-old boy who's got red hair that I love. I sometimes can't believe he's my son. I love Shakira. As a good Colombian, you have to love Shakira. Um, an amateur gardener. I have a ton of little seedlings next to me. Um, and I just like like doing it. I, I love doing it because it teaches me patience and I really needed to work on that a few years ago. I'm like, I'm going to garden because it's like a patience heavy uh, hobby. Um, and I am a financial marketing services professional. Cindy, when you were 11 years old, you and your mother came to the United States. At such a young age, did anyone around you explain why you were leaving Colombia? So it's funny because we actually left Colombia for a summer vacation um, and then we just stayed here. <laughs> so it was one of those things where we spent the summer here and then uh, we had some family who had come before us and I, I guess I enjoyed it. Um, and I, you know, my mom says that I said to her, Hey, I really want to stay here, which, you know, we'll, I don't know if we'll believe my mother on everything, but um, then we stayed. And then, you know, I, for the next few years, those years after we came here, as I look back at my life, have become what have shaped me and who I am today. Uh, from like 11 years old to 19 years old, I think those years just really, as I look back now, really shaped my values you know, what I stand for, how I live my life, how I treat people. Um, but no, no one really told me what was about to happen. And I think if they did, um, we probably wouldn't have done it because it was hard and it was challenging. So no proper goodbyes. I mean, you left, you probably packed whatever you packed for a quote unquote summer trip, Yeah, but you never went back. You, everything yeah. was still there. Everything was still there. My mother went back and she sold uh, the rest of our of our things. Um, but my father still lives in Colombia and he was living there. And the first time I saw my father again was when I was 22. So I think, and he picked me up at the airport. And I still remember sort of his face of looking at me as an adult now. And the last time he, he saw me, I was 11 years old. Um, and that also was like really eye-opening for me. Like time goes by so quickly. Um, and so, yeah, no, just what we had, what, wow. just what we had, which is funny because sometimes I'll go to like friends' houses and a lot of the people that I know um, still, their, their parents still live in the house that they grew up in. I don't have that. I, you know, I, I don't really have like that old stuff that, that you remember childhood by. I have a couple of albums that my mom brought with pictures of me as a baby, but that's really it. But also that is part of who I am today. I'm not very attached to physical things. I'm not very attached to locations. 
that's part of that. It's because I never really had that place to go back to, to say, well, that's where I grew up, you know, my whole life. Um, So yeah, big part of that. So you come here to the United States and you're probably, are you in the East coast at this point? Are you you in New Jersey? New Jersey. So you arrive in New Jersey. You're this 11 year old child. You do not speak English. What do you remember the most about that time? Yeah. So it was pretty traumatic. Um, I started going to a, an elementary school, local elementary school. Um, and we moved to a city called Patterson, New Jersey, um, which, you know, can, is a little bit of a rough city. And where I lived in Columbia, we lived in really nice apartments and homes. And it was just totally unlike anything I had ever experienced. I went, I went to an all-girl Catholic school my entire life. And all of a sudden, I'm thrown into this elementary school in a very, very you know, urban um, area. There was an ESL program, um, but I just remember... My mother used to have this part-time job at night and she would come home at like 8.30, 9 a.m. I was already supposed to be in school. And I remember I would hide under the bed because I didn't want to go to school. And she would pull me from under the bed, like walk me over to the elementary school uh, because I didn't, I, I didn't understand anything. I was just kind of sitting there listening to the teachers and I knew nothing. I, I just... It was such a confusing world to me. And when I think back now as a mother, I just go like, that must have been so hard for my mom to see her 11-year-old daughter have to go through that. I have like these stories that really shaped, I I think, those years. Uh, Some of them are silly. Some of them are a little bit like cringy. Like there's a story that I like to tell, Um, you know, when you're when you're in a classroom and the teacher goes like one by one and you're reading stories and everyone reads a paragraph, Uh we were doing that. And we were reading a story about someone who got lost in the desert. Uh, but I was still sort of learning and I read the story, but I said dessert the entire time, but no one told me that I was saying it wrong. And (laughs) I was like 12, right? And so when we went to Reese's, like all the little, like the kids were making fun of me. Um, So like little silly stories like that really shaped like what was to come, which was high school. And in high school, I made a very specific decision to not apply for our ESL program. And I just thought that if I submitted myself as an ESL student, I was going to be held back from certain things. And it was, and I was right. I, you know, I had friends who went to the same high school. And if you were an ESL student, you couldn't take English honors, for example. Um, and I didn't think that was right. And so even though I wasn't a hundred percent yet with my English, I just decided, well, no, I don't want to be held back because of this. And I decided to just mark myself as like a regular student. Um, and my freshman year was tough because I wasn't just regular classes. None of the teachers knew, but it also pushed me because I had, I knew I had to, to be at hundred percent English, uh, to be able to do all the things that I wanted to do. And like who that's, oh my, that's mind boggling, Cindy. Like who yeah. told you, like, no, did you, did anybody be like, Hey, try this or, you know, was that just you at 15? What are you 14, 15 years old at yeah. that point? And you already know. That was just me. I think that 
I, you know, I, I'm the first one to go to college in my family. Um, I'm the first one to do a lot of things in my family. And so I'm the oldest. And I, I guess an instinct just comes over you and you just realize, well, it's, it's on you. Like you're responsible. It's not my mother. It's not my family. I don't have the connections. Um, and it was just always me at first. I will say there have been certain people in my life that have changed the path of my life. I found someone like that in high school. I found someone like that in college. I have found those people in my career. Um, and they're so proud of you. And it's like they become a little bit of an extension of your family. But I think empathy, kindness um, is the, the common denominator there. Uh, and just a willingness to help without requiring something back. Absolutely. That's beautiful. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about those formative years when you're in junior high or, you know, middle school and high school. Was it ever an explicit conversation that you had with like your mom or a relative of like, hey, you got to do your best to fit in? Or looking back now as an adult, was it all like subliminal messages of, you know, you're different than us or, you know, you're not American, quote unquote American? What were those messages that you received and in, in those clues to be like, I need to probably shift or hide who I am? Yeah. So the, those junior high and high school years, I was actually surrounded by a lot of people who were like me. So I never really thought that I was going to have to act in a certain way to fit in. I was in high school. I, we were sent to a program to a university. A few of us were picked and it was like a one week politics uh, camp. When I got there, I think that was my first, the first time that I, that I became aware of what America actually looked like outside of Patterson um, because I was in a little bubble. And I think that that part of that, it was my mother was trying to protect me. Um, and also we just didn't really know a lot of people outside of that bubble. And so, you know, we would travel and we would see certain things, but not too far because a big part of my story is that I was also undocumented. Mm. A lot of the things that my friends were doing, like drive a car, get a license or get an internship or get a job at the ice cream shop down the street. I just couldn't do those things. So that limited me to being in that bubble of everyone kind of looks the same. Um, when I went to this one week program, I remember just kind of my mind saying to myself, well, you're not like these people. Like, you don't act like them. You don't speak like them. You are, you know, you're intelligent and like you're one of the top students in your school. But clearly, even, even, you know, even though you're a top student in your school, the top students from these other schools are like way different, like way higher level of education than you are. That's what I thought. It just seemed that way to me, just because of the way they spoke and the, the way they dressed, how they acted. And that was a trigger for me. It was like, okay, I need to figure out, well, how do I fit in? How do I get into that world? Um, and that was sort of the first time that I realized like, okay, well, this is what you're going to have to do. No one ever sat me down and talked to me about it. It was always just in my brain. And I, I never sat and thought about it. I never kind of had that self-awareness. It's now that I look back, 
I think, okay, that must have happened. It was a trigger. And now that I realized what happened, now I can, I can see. But in those moments, you're not really thinking about it. You know, you're still young and you're just trying to fit in. I think you're just trying to fit into whatever world is put in front of you. Fitting in as like a teenager, but then also fitting in unconsciously, you know, as part of dominant culture. But, you know, what I love about you is that you made your own way, right? After high school, you go and you not only earn, you know, a bachelor's in business, but then you go on to earn a master's in international business. And, you know, you go to Hong Kong, you go to Sweden, you know, what, tell me what was that like? And then, you know, you go on to start your, you know, your corporate career in, in these financial institutions, like these historical financial institutions, you know, what was that like being probably what the only Latina in those rooms? Mm-hmm. And to this day, uh, I still am, by the way. So I graduated high school and I was a salutatorian of my class and I couldn't, go- <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't go to college because I was undocumented. And so that was kind of tough because everyone would say, well, where are you going to school? Where are you? And I'm like, I don't really know. This is where I've met one person of the pivotal people that I was speaking about who really helped me. She just took me under her wing. She was a, a counselor at, at the college that I ended up going to, and she really helped me. And um, eventually I got my, you know, my documents. I'm an American citizen now. My, the day I took my test, we had like a little welcome to America party. You know, I'm like 27 years old. It was super fun. But um, she really helped. And I went to college. And at that point, you know, I hadn't been able to travel outside of the U.S. because I was undocumented. So that's when I went back to Columbia for the first time. I saw my father. I was 22 versus 11. And I decided that, the, you know, what I did was I, I was in that Patterson bubble for so long. And then I saw a little bit of a bigger bubble in New Jersey. And then I was like, you know what? Like, I want to see the world bubble. Like, it wasn't about just America at that point. It's like about the world. And I want to get out of here. And so I studied abroad a few times, you know, went to Mexico, uh, which is where we met. And that was super fun. And then uh, Sweden and Hong Kong. And I traveled. And, you know, I like to say that, you know, I, I, I studied a little bit while I was there. But really what I learned was that the, the world wasn't just America. It wasn't just the U.S. It wasn't just New Jersey. It was this huge place and I was going to be unique in every place that I went to. So whether I was in Hong Kong or in mainland China and people saw me and said, Hey, I want to take a picture with you because you look different. Right. Or when I was in Sweden and people used to kind of like look at my hair and be like, Oh my God, your hair is so pretty. I'm like, you're blonde and blue eyed. Like your hair is so pretty, you know? And I realized it didn't really matter where I was. I was going to be unique in a certain way. Even when I go back to Colombia now, which I know a lot of us struggle with this, mm-hmm. when I go back to Colombia, people are like, well, you're not really Colombian because you don't live here and you haven't lived here in 20 years, 20 plus years. But when I'm in the US, people are like, well, where are you from? And what they really want to know is that I'm from Colombia. So you have this identity of uniqueness everywhere as a first gen immigrant because you don't re- you're not really from a very specific place. Um, And that's, I just realized, look, you're going to be unique in, you know, and you're going to get to decide um, who you want to be in whatever room you're you're in. Yeah. So I started in the finance world 
And I made a decision that I was going to try to fit in as much as I could. Okay. And it was probably not the right decision, uh, but I thought it was a way that I was going to survive that world and that I was going to continue to move forward in my career. And it helped a little bit. You know, I just was trying to fit in. I was trying to be like other people learning. I, I did a lot of watching and learning of people and kind of trying to pick up their way of being uh, and the way that they kind of acted socially. About five years into my career, um, I changed jobs and and I, and I was really struggling with this idea of, well, but like, that's not really who I am. I can act that way, but it's exhausting. Like, it's yeah. just exhausting to try to act like other people. And it just seems so easy for everyone else to just be themselves. And I said to myself, well, what if you're just yourself? Like, what if you're just who you are with your friends and your family? And it was a little scary to, to start doing that. But I did, and it has been the most amazing thing I've ever done, is just be myself. And not that it was very different than the way I was acting, but it, you just insert these little things about your character, right? Like the Shakira lover comment, right? I would go to a happy hour with my coworkers and pre this you know scenario where i'm bringing myself like a shakira play buzz a shakira song would come on and i wouldn't say anything now it's like oh my god i love shakira and now everyone knows that i love dancing and that i love shakira and like people like that people like that connection and it's silly and it's fun and it's just been amazing because i'm just myself it's easy it's not exhausting and people appreciate it and you know what the people who don't appreciate it it's like i don't want to be part of your world anyway. So it's okay. It's fine. We, we all have things that we don't appreciate about each other. So it's been so nice to just be myself with everybody, with like with my family, with my friends at work and my career. And, you know, and then as a mom, which yeah. is a totally different, totally you know, different, <laughs> you know, and I, I'm, I'm just so proud of you. I mean, let's not skip over the fact that I know you, we meant that we met in Mexico studying at uh, de Monterrey and yeah. it's just been amazing watching you grow, especially just in your career. Like the world that you live in, in these institutions, <laughs> I mean, this is like hardcore, you know, international business or business and financial planning that you do, which is just like a whole other world to me, right? But I don't want to gloss something over. You made a conscious decision to leave, to take a step away from corporate America for a little bit. Yeah. You know, you had you know, something happened that made you realize that life was short. I want you to tell us a little bit about, about that and, and the choice that, that you made to, to take a break, to, to put yourself first. Totally. Yeah. I was, you know, really my career taking off, um, was doing very, very well in my career on a leadership path. Um, I was to your point in like these large financial institutions, very proud of myself, by the way, there was this moment right before I decided to leave corporate uh, America that we, I, I got an opportunity to ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange um, or to be part of the podium. And I had been there plenty of times. And when you go there, um, you're standing downstairs, not on the podium. And this time I got to stand on the podium and it was like, 
you know, I'm calling everybody, like my mom, my grandma, like obviously my husband and everybody like, hey, record this because I'm going to be on TV for like 30 seconds as the bell is ringing. So proud of myself. I am so proud of the, the what I've built in my career and what I've done. So proud, which made it even harder to make a decision to leave. Um, and I had a friend who I actually first on my first day of high school, so our freshman year, and we became, you know, best friends. And over the years, we took different paths in our lifetimes. And um, we had, you know, different kind of family uh, setups. Uh, but we were very, very friendly. And the thing that I loved about her is that I could be myself with her because she knew me when I was 14. So even if I tried to act with her, she'd be like, who is this? Like, this is not who you are. And she would call me out on it. And I love that about her. And we had a great friendship. Uh, She unfortunately uh, had lupus and she passed away from complications to a heart surgery. Um, Before she passed away, I was uh, doing quite a few things for her. (laughs) It's like cat sitting for her, apartment sitting. And, you know, I smile because I know she's laughing because she she probably thought that it was so ridiculous uh, because her cat hated me. And then I'm like, what am I going to do with this cat? (laughs) And um, she's she you know, that was very difficult. That was very, very difficult for me. And I just I needed to take a step back. I needed uh, to take a beat. And to think about, well, what is it that I want to do? What is it? I just needed to to breathe. Honestly, I just needed to breathe. And it took quite a few months to come to that decision. And once I went to my leadership and I said, well, here's what I'm thinking. Of course, everyone's like, no, you cannot do that. How about a sabbatical? Or how about, you know, you take some time off. or part-time. And honestly, I just needed to breathe. Like I couldn't even make a decision in that moment of anything other than I just can't do this right now. And part of that is like the mental health conversation that you have with, with, um, you know, that we're all having now. And as a Colombian woman, I, those conversations with my mother or my grandmother, who's still alive, she's 92, you know, to them, there's no such thing as mental health issues. Like to them, it's, you know, you just, you just go, you go to work no matter what, like, oh yeah, you're upset. Like you just keep going. And I knew that if I kept going, it wasn't going to be good for me or for my son. And, and so I had this moment with my mom that was actually really beautiful going to make me cry and she and I would never tell her this um because that's the kind of relationship that we have she's been very tough on me and I had this moment where she said to me um you look really stressed I was still working she said you look really stressed and I was like yeah you know I I'm really upset like I'm really stressed out and uh, I'm thinking about quitting And I honestly thought after all the years and and so much hardship that it took for me to get there, I thought that she was going to be so disappointed and she was not at all. She said to me, that is the best thing that you could do for yourself and your family. And that to me was such like a relief. It was like she gave me the permission to do it, even though I was, I'm a 35 year old woman, (laughs) I'm still asking my mother sort of for this affirmation and she'll never really say, yeah, I understand that you need that for your mental health. She'll never say that out loud, but I know she's thinking it and I know she's feeling it. And it was such a beautiful moment. And 
I think that that was so, so healing for me um, in so many ways. It was this, hey, it's okay. You don't have to always be like at the top. You don't have to always be like the strongest person for everyone in the room. Um, and she, you know, she, she did that for me. She did that for me. So I, I was really happy that she did. And then I took a step back. And I spent a month uh, reading and at the beach and, um, you know, just contemplating life, which again, it's like, I'm sitting there feeling guilty because my mother never had that chance, right? Like she never had the opportunity to say, well, I don't want to go and like clean houses anymore. I want to take a month to go to the beach. And then it's like, you feel guilty and it's all these feelings are coming to your mind, but the reality is, is we have different lives than our parents. And just like they figured out ways to, to adapt and, and live through what they were living through, we do as well. And there are some stresses that we have that they never had, right? The stress of, for example, constant electronic communication. Mm-hmm. They never really had that, right? And so it's just a different life and a different world. So I did that and... Um, And it's been so healing for me, breathing, reading, going on walks with my dog and, you know, playing with my son and just being alone has been really good. I've also realized, though, that I really like to work (laughs) and um, it took about six months. We had uh, some friends that had bets going on how long it was going to take for me to get another job. And uh, I think someone's going to win fairly soon. Uh, But yeah, I I decided, you know what? I think that I really enjoy being in a room where people respect my ideas and my opinions. And uh, towards the the later parts of my career, I began to do some mentorship work with, um, you know, young adults who were coming into the financial services industry. And that was the best part of my job. I loved doing that. I loved talking to these young adults, uh, particularly from underserved communities about my story. And that became a big part of why I decided to be who I am because I would see these kids coming into work and they were struggling the way that I struggled. And I kind of wanted to say, hey, you don't have to do that. You don't have to not be yourself. And I started doing that and I loved doing it and I wanna continue to do it. I, I want to. So we'll see. Story, you know, left uh, the rest of the story on, on career TBD, but I'll probably go back to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I, that first of all, it's so brave that to even step away or to take a break or to, or to say, hey, I'm on a path that's unhealthy for myself and those around me. I'm going to be brave enough to take a step back. And I can imagine, you know, telling your immigrant mother, <laughs> you know, worked her entire life, multiple jobs of like, I need to take a break. So I applaud you, Cindy. And I hope that you, you stand in that, in that, in that light, because it's amazing. And it's, it's very beautiful and strong, you know, and I want to talk a little bit about, you know, becoming a mother, because for me personally, that was a catalyst moment for me of, um, reevaluating my identity and how I identify with my children being biracial. And I know your son as well, right? Your husband identifies as, you know, Italian American. What are those conversations that you have with your partner or even with yourself of how you're going to ensure that this little redheaded boy is going to know that he's part Colombian? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that, that I'm still figuring that out. I think with my career, I've decided, okay, I'm going to be myself and that has worked. And so I kind of figure that out with parenthood. It's a challenge and it's a daily challenge. And, uh, yes, being, becoming a mother became, was a huge trigger for me in many ways, career wise, relationship wise. Um, just, just the standalone idea of being a mother. Then as time goes by, you start to think about, well, how do I want to be a first gen immigration mother? Right. And, um, one of the things that I have been really challenged with is the language. So I, you know, because I'm working and, and again, now I'm like trying to come up with excuses as to why Nicholas doesn't speak Spanish, which I won't try to do, but I really struggle with that. He doesn't speak Spanish and it really is painful to me because I spoke Spanish only until I was 11 years old. My grandmother only speaks Spanish. My mother only speaks Spanish. She speaks a little bit of English, but I just, I look at Nicholas and I think to myself, well, it's a little weird that he doesn't speak Spanish. And I tried when he was a baby and then it was just too much. And, um, you know, and I see other people doing it and then I feel so badly and guilty about it. I really struggle with that. I don't know what I'm going to do about it. I, we went to Colombia last year with Nicholas and it was the first time he was there and he met my father and I just knew everyone in Colombia would give me such a hard time about him not speaking Spanish and they did and it was so embarrassing and I just was like oh my gosh I don't know what to do I just didn't know what to do I don't know what to do and so the Spanish thing is one thing um and then just your day-to-day -day sort of parenting styles are another, um, which I've kind of figured out my own way. You know, my parent, my my mother, you know, definitely had a very different parenting style than the, the style that I have with, with Nicholas. Uh, and it's beautiful to see them as grandparents because they are very different than they were with us. And, uh -huh. um, and so it's just this, um, and now I live in a town that, you know, is, it doesn't have a ton of diversity. So I, I, at the drop-off line, I'm kind of looking at Nicholas and I'm looking at the other kids and I'm thinking, well, how am I going to teach Nicholas the things that have made me who I am? But again, just like I think about my mother, right? She had her struggles. She figured out how to adapt and live through those. I did the same. I feel like as a parent, I have to allow for that for my, for my son. I have to allow him to go through his own struggles, which are going to be different than mine, and learn from those. And I can guide, and I can provide assistance, and I can give advice, but I don't want to tell. I don't want to say, well, this happened to me, and this is why you should be grateful I want him to just kind of get there on his own, but it's easier said than done, right? Sometimes we'll have six-year-old arguments and I'll say, well, did you know that mom X, Y, Z? And you know, I catch myself in those moments. So it, it's a daily sort of thing. But then again, we have beautiful days. So um, of course there's the movie Encanto, which I was there like the day, the night, the night it came out because I'm like, I got to see this movie and it was so fun. And uh, as a Colombian, it was just so beautiful to see all the different things. And, and he ended up really enjoying it. 
And when we went back to Colombia, the uh, Christmas decorations were Encanto decorations. And I've taken him to like a few different Encanto things. And he's making connections. And so he's saying, oh, I understand. Like, so, you know, the mom in Encanto made buñuelos or arepas and Abuelita makes those. And I'm like, yes, exactly. And so now I feel like there's a different layer in our culture that's maybe helping me as a parent to make those connections. And so that's helpful to me. You really are just an amazing person and, and human. And I'm excited to see where, you know, the next couple of decades take you. Yes, I'm excited too. I'm excited to see all the kids grow up. Maybe one day we can get all of our kids together and then, you know, they can talk about us. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Misma Project is executive produced and owned by me, Jennifer Yepes Blundell, and Savannah Jones is our editor. We'd love to connect with you. Hit us up on Instagram or TikTok at Misma Project or send us an email at hola at mismaproject.com. And remember to please share, subscribe, and leave a review. Every time you do, you help our community grow and our voices heard. Okay, bueno pues. See you next time. <laughs>